I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Street Soldiers. We're talking about being biracial at this time as our society goes through every aspect and every level and layer looking for systemic racism. People who are biracial have a whole different take on this and different issues that they're facing. The constant question, what are you? Questions about who are you? Questions about what is your allegiance? But yet when you look at the biracial success stories, there are many from sports to politics, as we just saw with vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris, many top entertainers take a look at Drake, for example, and the list goes on and on and on, even into British royalty with Meghan Markle. So in this episode, we're taking a look at this, we're talking about what it means, and just trying to understand what is going on, because according to census statistics and also independent research, mixed race and biracial people are growing at twice the rate of single race individuals in the United States over the last 20 years. So it's a significant development. It's not just because you're seeing it in the media or in entertainment. It is a real seismic change in our society and we wanted to talk about what it means for everybody. So joining me for this episode is the legendary chart-topping, hit-making, artist-busting DJ Drama from Atlanta by way of Philly. Drama, great to have you on Street Soldiers. Thanks, Lisa. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Also with us is Mary Almonte. She's the founder of Young Urban Moms and a licensed New York State real estate broker. Mary, great to have you with us. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Dr. Jeff Gardier. He's a clinical psychologist and professor at Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Jeff, great to have you with us. Great to be here with you. Thank you. Mary, I want to start with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and one of the big issues you keep facing. So my mother is a Southern Black woman and my father is Italian, um, first generation here in America. And boy, um, I grew up, you know, in a, in a town in New York City that was predominantly Italian. Um, and, you know, I took my father's last name and obviously my first name's Mary. So I had a very um, Italian name. And when I would show up for school, people would think I wasn't me <laughs> um, because obviously my skin is brown. And so, you know, growing up, both my parents are still together to this day. And they taught me, you're both black and white and don't let anybody tell you different. Unfortunately, though, when you're telling that story to the world, when you're perceived as black, having brown skin and, you know, Afrocentric features in any capacity, um, it's perceived as you denying your blackness. So I think I would rub a lot of my black friends and black people the wrong way when I would say, but I'm biracial. Um, and then when I would tell my white peers that, it really didn't make a difference <laughs> because at the end of the day, I was viewed as black to them. Um, so I think that it definitely caused uh, a bit of a, an identity crisis or a struggle to define my identity, right? Like I kind of felt like, um, you know, I felt like I fit in nowhere uh, until probably around high school when I encountered other, you know, biracial people or physically I felt like I fit in with a lot of the Hispanic or more Afrocentric Hispanic people. So I sort of, you know, would kind of blend there. Um, and so I think once I became a grown woman and was able to really assess the situation, I 
came became comfortable with taking on the identity of a black biracial woman. So that's how I define myself. So culturally, right, I grew up very Italian with culture, right? Like I, on Christmas Eve, I'd have seven fish and, you know, I'd have Sunday dinner with Sunday sauce with my grandmother every Sunday until she died um, a few years back. But, you know, I am very much aware that in this country, and I think we're all really becoming more painfully aware of this in recent times, your experience is defined by what you look like. And I'm very much aware that I look black and I wear it proudly, so. Oh, that's amazing. Rama, in terms of, in terms of your identity and also being in the hip hop sphere, we have a lot, we had a lot of artists for a very long time who were biracial and then people found out later on because they thought it might impact I'm talking about back in the day, on their credibility, you know, or their street cred or whatever. Tell us a little bit about your experience. Yeah, um, for me, you know, growing up in Philly, um, I have two parents that were, were, were uh, very involved in, you know, the civil rights movement. My dad was actually in uh, SNCC in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Um, so, you know, my, my father's African-American, my mother's white Jewish, um, my dad's from Philly, my mom's from Boston. And I grew up um, between both households, you know, my, my parents separated when I was very young and I actually used to go back and forth between my mom and my dad, like week to week. And, um, you know, obviously I came out very fair skin, very light. And, you know, I remember growing up and my father was always very hard pressed to me to, you know, let it be known that I was, uh, black African-American, you know, I, I, he never, I never really was, um, I, I was. I never grew up in in, in terms of the context of uh, identifying myself as as being mixed. And obviously, at a young age, it was a little confusing. You know, clearly because of my skin tone, and you know, my mother is white and everything. And you know, um, just in my surroundings, trying to again, like like Mary said, you know, going through a slight identity crisis. And, and for me, it was kind of the opposite of her because I am so light. And people used to kind of ask me what I am, and you know. Thankfully for my parents, they named me Tyree, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, I, I would, there were times when people wouldn't even believe me when I said I was black, you know what I mean? And I would, you know, if my name was Brandon, they really wouldn't have believed me, per se, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, but, but growing up, you know, I, I went through, you know, I went through that, those times of, of even, of, of telling people I was mixed because I felt as though it was easier for them to comprehend than for me to just say I'm black, you know what I'm saying? And people be like, no, you're not. Or, you know, having to break it down and saying, well, you know, my mother's white and my father's black. And obviously, you know, in America, you know, I, I identify as a black man, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, uh, when I came to Atlanta, I went to a, you know, I went to a predominantly black school. I went to at Clark Atlanta University. You know, and I think for me it was good just to really have, you know, that experience um, at, at that age when I was in school. And again, you bring up hip hop, like for me, you know, I feel like hip hop was, was definitely very important in my life as far as, you know, um, you know, my identification and because my skin is so fair, it was it complicates it for people in their minds. But you know, it's been a, it's been a great ride. All right, we're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. We're talking about being biracial. When we come back, I'm going to ask our guest: Does it come with advantages when you grow up with two separate different different racial backgrounds? That's coming up next. We'll be right. Back. What up? This is Trey Songz, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people. Only on Hot Seven. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about being biracial in America in 2020. 
what does it mean? What are the challenges? And are there special benefits when you look at all the success stories of people who are biracial, going from President Obama to Meghan Markle to so many entertainers, our new vice presidential nominee, uh, Kamala Harris, and not to mention the entertainment world like Drake and so many others. You have to ask yourself, are there certain advantages when you grow up in two separate cultures? Let's find out what our panel has to say. Joining me is DJ Rama, the legendary hit-making, chart-popping, artist-discovering DJ from Atlanta by way of Philly Drama. Great to have you with us on the show. Thanks for me. I'm a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Mary Almonte. She's the founder of Young Urban Moms and also a licensed real estate agent. Very great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Also joining us is Dr. Jeff Gardier. He's a clinical psychologist and professor at Touro College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Jeff, <laughs> listen, I feel, every time I get through osteopathic, I'm like, you're one of the very few people who can actually say the word osteopathic without murderizing it. So congratulations on that. That's thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. And it's great to be on with you, my dear sister. Thank you. Always, always. We appreciate it. Uh, drama, in terms of being biracial, do you, do you feel like it gives you certain advantages? Because you, 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 know the, you know the Jewish culture, you know the African-American culture. Do you feel there's certain advantages in understanding having kind of like that dual awareness? Um, yeah, I would, I would say so in a sense. I mean, it, I feel like it, it's enabled me to, to navigate, you know, various rooms and, and various scenarios and what have you. Um, you know, I, I, I question, I wonder, you know, and with that question, does um, complexion come into play? Obviously, oh, yeah. you, know, you know, for me, you know, being so light, it's like, you know, my friends joke with me to this day, like, you know, if, if we're in a car, like, let the drum drive, you know what I'm saying? Just, um, you, know, <laughs> I, I, you know, in, in certain circumstances, until I open my mouth, I could probably pass. But, you know, interestingly enough, like, when when I even really first kind of like was making waves in the game, um, uh, and I started, you know, with my mixtape started to become a real thing, you know, before people knew what I looked like based upon the, the sound of my voice and how deep it is, which I get from my father, you know, I remember people just joking like, wow, you know, they thought DJ Drama was like, Dark, dark skin and and really like overweight, you know. I guess just because I sound so sounded so boisterous. So when I first, you know, people f kind of first put a, a face with a name, you know, I I I guess it gave me like you know a, a leg up in a sense, you know what I'm saying. So I, I definitely feel like there were some advantages for me um, in life as well as in career and just you know, again, like I said, just to. To, to be able to navigate, you know, but, um, you know, thankfully for me, I, I feel like I grew up in a very, like, I, I, I grew in a very, like, liberal household, um, you know, super, like, super political and, you know, and, and very active within, you know, the streets and the culture, you know, and, and so for me, it, it just really, you know, it, it gave me a level of, of where I wanted to be in life and, and, you know, how I wanted to view the world and, you know, what, what my placement was for that, regardless of skin complexion or whether identified as black mixed or mulatto per se. And having that history of your family being involved in civil rights had to give you an, an extra measure of support too. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Mary, what about you in terms of, do you feel there's advantages? Because 
I mean, you have, for, for people who are watching this outside of New York City, you're in a heavily Italian, predominantly, overwhelmingly white, I might say, right? Neighborhood in, in, in Staten Island is where your dad's from. And your mother's African-American from the South, from a completely different culture. But do, do you feel that, that growing up that way has given you certain advantages in life? I don't know that I define it as advantages, but I do feel like being exposed to different cultures kind of gives you, you know, a growth mindset, right? Like I kind of tend to think critically and I can see multiple sides of situations because my parents come from such different worlds and, you know, being exposed to, you know, very conservative Italian, you know, and by the way, people that I love who are very conservative in mindset. And then obviously my mother growing up in the Jim Crow South during the civil rights era, um, I think it positions me, and I guess this is an advantage somewhat. I mean, at least if I had political aspirations, it would be. Um, it positions me to be a messenger during the, the crazy times we're living in right now. I mean, on my Facebook, you know, I often engage in these kind of conversations. And because my family and my friend base is so varied in mindset and ideology and background, there are some really spirited, and I'm using a nice word with that, <laughs> debates that happen there that, you know what, with every post I, I post, I actually feel like hearts and minds do change. I mean, maybe not completely, like no one's going from a conservative to a liberal, but at least in terms of understanding each other, I think that, you know, I kind of serve as a medium because I have such a varied background. But I do feel like my experience has really been more races, more problems, <laughs> because I feel like at least growing up, I mean, now that I'm an adult, I'm, after, I'm more secure in who I am and, and what's happening in the world. But as a child, it's, you know, it can feel like a disadvantage to be mixed race when you really feel like you struggle to find people to identify with. And again, like you cited in the beginning of the show, stats are showing that, you know, biracial children are on the rise and probably at some point in the future, everyone's going to be biracial. But, you know, that wasn't my experience. And so it definitely was a bit of a disadvantage and a challenge socially and emotionally growing up under these circumstances. And then, and then Dr. Jeff, the drama brought up the issue of complexion because there's that thing of you're not black enough or you're trying to be white or you're too dark to be white, you can't really be half white. Tell us about that, like what, like where does that come from? Because that's always seems to, co to come up, is, is it more an issue of complexion than it is of who your parents are? Well, there are a couple of things that are going on with regard to complexion and drama is right. There has uh, traditionally been drama in the black race uh, in that uh, there is uh, some self-hate uh, in that uh, for quite a while, uh, those uh, in the African-American culture, uh, some believe, some believe the ones who are light, bright, and almost white had more advantages. You know, they had the straight hair that they used to call good hair and that sort of thing. And so what we would see happen is that those of us who were darker, those of us you know, who had, you know, more uh, 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 of a natural African-American hair were considered to be less. Now, that's changed a lot, as we know, uh, especially with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, we've come into the cognizance of, you know, these issues of complexion are really stupid. Uh, they put us back in time and we have to go beyond that. But what I've seen with biracial children is, yes, of course, 
they they might be able to learn you know from a different religion or a different race a combination of that in their home but traditionally they've had issues uh one of the issues they've had for those who wanted to pass who were light enough who had straight you know enough hair so that they could pass as white those people even though they passed had severe severe psychological issues the other thing that i see in present day time now as a biracial child you must come to the realization that even if you identify as biracial and you see yourself as biracial there'll be many in society who see you as black so you've got to be prepared to walk in all of these different paths of life and if you're not prepared for that you might end up having some real psychological conflict so we have to prepare these biracial children to be able to deal with all of these changing different scenarios that they're in all right we're going to take a short break Street soldiers, we'll be right back. Yeah, yeah, what up, what up, what up? This is Styles Peter Ghost, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people, only on Hot 97. Yeah, Ghost told you so. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about being biracial in America in 2020. What does it mean? What are the challenges? And are there special benefits when you look at all the success stories of people who are biracial, going from President Obama to Meghan Markle to so many entertainers, our new vice presidential nominee, Kamala Harris, and not to mention the entertainment world like Drake and so many others. You have to ask yourself, are there certain advantages when you grow up in two separate cultures? Let's find out what our panel has to say. Joining me is DJ Drama, the legendary hit-making, chart-popping, artist-discovering, DJ from Atlanta by way of Philly Drama. Great to have you with us on the show. Thanks for me. I'm a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Mary Almonte. She's the founder of Young Urban Moms and also a licensed real estate agent. Very great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Also joining us is Dr. Jeff Gardier. He's a clinical psychologist and professor at Touro College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Jeff. <laughs> and it's great to be on with you, my dear sister. Thank you, always, always, we appreciate it. A lot, of, a lot of different modalities, a lot of different ways that pe people are seeing you. Rama, did you, feel, did you ever feel like you had to kind of adjust, you know, like, wait a minute, how are they seeing me or how are they perceiving me or they're not really seeing me? Not, not really as an adult. I mean, more as a, as a child, you know, I mean, and just like to touch on um, what Dr. Jeff said, like, you know, I, it, came to mind and we, I spoke about this in my, my family recently. I have a sister, an older sister. Um, she's not my, she's not my, uh, my mother's child. She's my father and his previous wife, um, who's African American. And, you know, we, we talked about when we were younger, how our family members used to say to my father, like, man, you know, I, Ty, Ty, Tyree should have been the, the daughter, the girl, in a sense, almost saying like, you know, she should have been the one that was light skinned with, you know, curly hair instead of it being the boy per se, you know, so that dynamic played out in, in family early on. And, you know, yeah, I went through, you know, small identity crisis when I was younger. I definitely had a, a period and a point where, you know, I, I wanted, I felt like I wanted to be white and my lips were, were too big and my hair was too curly. And, you know, based upon like just some, the, some of the, my friends at the time. And then, you know, um, 
And then I kind of went, you know, drastically did a 180 where I wanted to make sure, you know, all my peers in society knew that I was black, you know what I'm saying? And and I definitely feel like hip hop played a, a very prominent role in that for me at, at you know, at that young age. Um, and, you know, was, was, um, was, 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 was a, a big piece of, you know, of wearing, you know, being black proudly at the time when I was younger, but as an adult, really not so much. I mean, it, you know, it's, it hasn't been complicated for me to navigate in my opinion. Mary, in terms of the, in terms of, in terms of that question that people, that I think is a rude question, but it, it's people ask it all the time. It's like, what are you? Do you get that a lot? And how do you handle that? Do I? I mean, back when I was single and I, I would be like out in a club or something, there were dudes who used to come and say, what are you before? Like, what is your name? What's your sign? It was just like, what are you? Um, and it is a rude question, I think, or not even just rude, but it kind of shows the person's mindset that's asking it. It's like, what does it matter? Like what my background is, There's, that's not really shaping who I am and what we all have in common. So um, yeah, I've been asked that more times than I can count. And people always assume me um, to be Hispanic or no one really ever assumes me to be what I am. So I always get met with like shock. Um, so yeah, I definitely have gone through that and I find it to be uh, ridiculous. <laughs> do, you, do you have like a set explanation for them or do you say I'm this and I'm this? So yeah, I mean, I exactly. I usually explain like my mom's black, my dad's Italian. So, you know, and then they're like, really? Wow. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And then, in, in terms of the business, in terms of the business world, in terms of the business that you do, how does, it, how does your, your, the perception of your race play into that? Oh my God. So it's weird you're asking me this question because just the other day I was in the middle of um, a real estate deal and two of the, you know, my counterparts who I was negotiating a deal with didn't realize that I'm black. I don't know what they assumed me to be, but they just started talking so much crap about the Black Lives Matter movement, about, you know, how they don't want to live near black people. I mean, it was just stomach turning, like it was awful. And Honestly, it is a difficult position to be in because you need to make money, right? And you don't want to, and you know, obviously I'm in a small town, so you know, word gets around quick if you don't want to work with someone. But on the same token, you do want to stand up for your people. I mean, whenever I hear, and even as a child, subconsciously, whenever I hear anyone talk about black people negatively, I envision my mom. And you know how protective everyone is of their mothers. Like, I'm not having that. So, it's really tough. It's really tough to be in a predominantly, not just white, but racist white environment and trying to conduct business and people don't necessarily equate you with being black because they feel comfortable to spew their racist views. It's mm -hmm. awful. And then that, that, that's another pressure on it. Dr. Jeff, what about this issue of having to choose? We saw recently with the actor Shamar Moore, he's a very famous TV actor, has a hit show right now that's out. Um, he got into a big, huge, huge thing on Instagram. His mother is white, his father is black. He said, this is my mother. I love my mother is white and I love my mother. And then he took, took a lot of heat from people who said, how can you say that? You're den denying that you're, you know, that you're black, you're really black. What, what is going on with that? And he stood by his mom and he said, I'm sorry people don't understand. Love knows no color, love is love. And this is where we need to be moving to as a society. This is the woman that gave me life. I can't deny her any more than I can deny 
the man who was my father. But what does that tell you about people and where we're at? Well, it, it tells me that people are very judgmental uh, and uh, they may be stuck more on color uh, than uh, they need to be, number one. Number two, this idea that uh, some of them feel that they're colorblind. How, how can you be colorblind? You can acknowledge someone's color or their race, but it should not form your opinion about that person. It just tells you that that person uh, may be complex, what their background is. Mary, you talked about when you were back, you know, back in the clubs, back on Earth 1.0, when there were clubs and people were hanging out, right? You know, I, I think people can ask you that question, but it shouldn't be the first question they ask you. Right, when they exactly. know you, you know, they get to spend time with you, then they can be curious. We have jokes about this stuff in my house. You know, at my, you know, I live on a beach, a, a, a private beach in Connecticut. It's very, very lovely. Um, to my knowledge right now, I'm the only black guy who lives on that beach. But, you know, we make jokes about it. I say to my wife, I may be the only black guy who lives on the beach, but you're the only white woman who's living in this house. So, you know, once we learn to, well, I guess you didn't think that was that funny, right, Lisa? But once... <laughs> But once we, you know, be, can begin to laugh at this and, you know, kind of take a step back and understand that we're all brothers and sisters, uh, but that we have to live our ultimate truth and whatever that is for that individual and we support them in that way, whether they uh, see themselves as biracial or whether they see themselves as black or black and biracial, whatever that is, that is their experience, that is their road less traveled and we have to support them in that way. But most importantly, we have to support their mental health in a country that is divided along the lines of race and that is very sick right now uh, as oh, yeah. far as oh, what yeah. we see, as far as uh, politics and so on. Just to touch on it, like, you know, respectfully, I'm, it, I'm sure it's very different for, for Mary and it, the question probably gets annoying for me as a man and a single man, it's it's actually quite engaging. So, and I like to have fun with it. Like when they, when people, you know, I, the opposite men don't really ask me like that. Women ask me and it's, you know, I'd be like, well, first I'd say whatever you want me to be. And then it's like, take a guess. And I'd, you know, <laughs> play the guessing game. And, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten it all from Italian to Puerto Rican to Moroccan to, you know, black and white or white or, you know what I'm saying? So. I've gotten it all across the stratosphere, although no one's ever said you're black, you know what I'm saying? But everything except that, per se. All right, we're going to take a short break. Sweet soldiers, we'll be right back. Yeah, 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 salute. This is General Steele from Smith & Wesson, and right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about being biracial, Joining me is our panel, DJ Drama. He is the chart-topping, artist-breaking, legendary DJ from Atlanta via Philadelphia. Drama, great to have you with us. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Also joining us is Mary Almonte. She's the founder of Young Urban Moms, a group she founded in the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter movement to address a lot of the issues young mothers were facing. She's also a licensed real estate broker. Mary, great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Also joining us is Dr. Jeff Gardier. He's a clinical psychologist and a professor at Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine. Dr. Jeff, great to have you with us. Always a pleasure, Lisa. Dr. Jeff, when you, um, when you look at 
biracial celebrities. Let's take, for example, Kamala Harris, the vice presidential nominee. She's the first woman of color, the first African-American woman nominated for a position that high. What kind of challenges do you think she's going to be facing in terms of perceptions of voters who are not culturally fluent or come from culturally diverse backgrounds? Well, it's good for them to know that uh, black people come in all sizes, shapes, colors, backgrounds, and how they consider themselves, what they consider uh, themselves to be. Uh, already, there's a lot of press saying she's the first uh, African-American in that position, also the first South Asian person. So there are many South Asians that are very proud of that. But I think it's an educational process. It really is. And this talks about the, uh, the browning of America. That's where, you know, eventually we will be in 30, 40, 50 years. And that's very scary for some people because for them, they'd rather see it stay uh, white. There are some people who feel that way. Uh, but, you know, the reality is that the world is becoming a global community. Uh, we are seeing all sorts of mixtures. And, you know, it's uh, important that people just really embrace a person, really the content of the character, uh, not so much the color of the skin. But again, that being said, uh, I, I see a lot of actors and actresses who say, well, call me black, uh, call me black and white, you know, whatever their preference is, whatever they want to. I know I've raised my children, as I said earlier, uh, even though they're white and uh, they're biracial and Jewish, I've raised them to be black. That is just my preference, but at some point, if they wish to just be seen as biracial, then by all means. I just want them to assume the, the role of the underdog because being black in America is being an underdog and we can use all the help that we can. And you, and you, talk, you talk about that too, the, the, brown, the browning of America, that those statistics, are that, that's definitely very real. But it's also that America is still vastly, you know, by a big majority, a white country, over 80% white. So it's, it's still, there, there's that big, and there's a big bunch in the middle and in other parts of the United States where whole towns, there's not a person of color at all. And that's why it's important if you're in uh, an area, and I'll make this real quick so you can get to your other guests. You know, if you're in an area that is mostly white, many of the areas I've lived in other than Manhattan have been mostly white. I'm one of the very few black people there. You know, we get along just fine. You know, I see people for who they are. Hopefully they see me for who I am. Uh, and it's important that we have cultural sensitivity and cultural competence. That's the most important thing. It doesn't bother me that, you know, we have majority white uh, or it's majority something else. It's how do we treat one another with regard to respect, humanity, and love. Mary, what about that within your family? Because, it, you know, Staten Island and the community that you grew up in is not just predominantly white. It's, it's overwhelmingly Italian. It's families that have been there for generations. They grew up in the neighborhood. They live in the neighborhood. And, and the next generation does, it, does the same thing. It's, it's very much its own community. What kind of challenges did that present for you? Uh, let's just say my Facebook uh, debates have been very interesting. Um, and, you know, it's very cringy because in our current climate, a lot of racist people feel emboldened to, you know, come forward with their views that they wouldn't have before. And it's just been very eye-opening and, and hurtful, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, 
you know, I'm very vocal about my views too on social media and even in passing. And actually, um, you know, a family member of mine unfriended me on Facebook after leaving a, a nasty comment underneath one of my posts. Um, and, you know, I mean, basically now my family on my white side, my Italian side, is a little divided about it. Um, because some people, you know, feel like what I'm posting and my views are offensive to them. And then other people are like, but we're still family, so it shouldn't have come to that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, relationships in recent times have definitely gotten destroyed. Friendships have gotten destroyed based on the climate that we're in right now of picking a side. And it really is hard as a biracial person because, in essence, we're the antithesis of picking a side. <laughs> we're both sides in one. But, I mean, kind of to, to Dr. Jeff's point, I came to the realization for myself that although, yes, I, I know both of my parents made me a black person and a white person, I'm very aware that society views me as black. And right now we need to unify. I mean, so I feel like if I had to pick a side, I'm definitely rolling with the black one. <laughs> and I feel like I myself have, you know, faced oppression and discrimination as a result of being perceived as only black. So it's it's definitely a challenge. <laughs> like constantly, do you feel like you're still deal? You still it's still kind of it's still something you have to negotiate with. Or there's still things that happen that you're like, wow, that never no one ever said that before, like that. Oh, absolutely. I feel like it's getting worse. It's getting worse. I feel like before people would kind of hold it in, and even though you would kind of feel some underlying prejudice there, it wasn't so blatant. Now with technology and social media and our current administration. I feel like it's just all kind of coming to a point of crystallization. And I mean, on the bright side, yeah, let's take out the trash. Let's be real. If this is how you feel and how you view people, I'm happy to know it. So if we can talk and, and you know, you come to a point of understanding about our difference in views, fine. But I mean, I saw a meme not too long ago that it was like, there's lots of things that we can disagree on and still be friends and racism is not one of them, unfortunately. So if you are displaying racist views, I've now come to the point where it's like, what is there to talk about? But it's really hurtful when it's your own family or when it's people that you grew up having love for, and then you find out that all along this was how they thought. Drummond, what about hip hop's role in kind of, I really, I really think hip hop has done more than people actually realize in mm. terms of bringing different races and different cultures together because a lot of the artists and DJs that I've interviewed, they, they all say the same thing, they're like, you know, I've gone overseas, I've gone to Japan, I've gone to Europe, and here I am, a young black man in this crowd. They know every word to my lyrics, even though they can't say the, you know, e even though they don't, they don't speak the language, they're showing me respect, they're treating me like they're treating them as a celebrity and based on their accomplishments as they should be treated everywhere. But of course, being a black male in America is a whole different, a whole different thing. But what do you think about hip hop in terms of the way the culture, the, the music, so many of the artists, so many of the, of the DJs that have really advanced it are black and that that has introduced black culture, popular culture to, to the world? I mean, you know, you just said you took the words out of my mouth and, you know, I've, I've said for a long time, you know, black culture and, and obviously because of its dominance, hip hop in the last 30, 40 years, black culture is the biggest export from this country around the world. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, early on in my career, I don't know if I was, I was very vocal about my mother being Jewish. And I don't know if I looked at it as if it would be a, a strike against me as well. And then I also remember other people, you know, and black people saying like, 
it, that's important for you to embrace because of, you know, um, uh, just, you know, Jewish people in, in American society and, you know, their involvement in, in business and music and so forth and, and what have you. And, um, you know, again, like, I, I just think it's, you know, it's an amazing his story is an amazing story and an accomplishment. And as much as people might give him the accolades of, you know, it was easier for him because of those things like hip hop is, you know, it's a little, it's a little tricky, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, right. he, he really had to, you know, fight against a lot of the waves. And, you know, um, I think, you know, for a lot of biracial kids growing up, you know, especially if they have dreams of, of being in the music business, like he's, he's a, a, a super Sociologically, I think one of the reasons that the, I think, and I may be wrong, um, that the overwhelming majority of biracial children um, may identify as black is because they see that there is still a struggle out there for equality. And the reason I raised my uh, biracial Jewish children as black and Jewish, as far as their religion as Jewish and as black children and work with them identifying as black is because I want them to be part of the struggle for equality, for change, for humanity. It's almost like that old song, A Boy Named Sue. You know, you give them that tougher part of life to live with because it will form their character and allow them to have the empathy to identify with all people who have been denied their equal rights in the struggle in this great country that we call America. In terms of the, the standard though for biracial children, you, you talk about that and giving them that tremendous sense of of being real fighters for justice, which I think is so beautiful. But is there, is there, you know, parents of black children will say, you know what, if the white kids are great, you have to be stupendous. If they're doing this, you have to do it five times better to even just be looked at as equal in terms of your accomplishments and whatever the skill is or whatever the challenge. Is there something like that for biracial children? Well, absolutely. Uh, and, and I'll say two things about one about that. One is that's the way that I was raised as a black child to have to study more, to spend more time in academics, you know, to take all the AP classes. Because my father said as back then, because I'm so old, back then they used to call us Negroes. As a Negro, I had to do much, much more because it was you know, then, as it is now, a racist society, we do see great changes. But I'm also raising my children to not use being biracial as in their heads as some sort of an advantage over other black children, going back to that whole, you know, com you know, uh, uh, complexion thing of, oh, you know, light, bright, almost white, or you have this kind of hair or whatever. Heck no. You, you are not better than anyone. You are you, and you have to be part of the struggle. Drama, okay, guys, time for a final word here. Drama, when, is there something that you think will happen when you'll know, like, okay, we're really making progress, but things are really changing? Cool, that's tough. In, in today's society, I mean, I feel like we still got a long way to go. I mean, you yeah. know, one, one thing you mentioned earlier, you know, looking towards the future is, you know, we... we we could see a future where everyone is biracial or triracial or, you know, of, of mixed race. And I, you know, hopefully when that day comes, you know, as, as people, as humans, we'll, we'll all love each other and treat each other as equals, you know? 
definitely. That would be wonderful. Mary, being on the cutting edge can be exhilarating and also very challenging. When will you feel like things are really starting to change from where we're at right now? I mean, honestly, when Obama was elected, I had that feeling that things were turning around and then here we are. So I would have said if Biden Harris <laughs> end up winning. Um, but I think that like drama just said, I feel like we are we're we're a long way from equality and from actually, you know, feeling like being biracial, triracial, you know, whatever doesn't matter. Um, but I think that conversations like this <laughs> definitely help. And we need more conversations and dialogue of, of people who are on opposite ends of the spectrum and really looking to, to understand and to learn about each other rather than just to respond with an attack. So I think we just got to keep talking. Definitely. Dr. Jeff, final word. Are you hopeful at all? I'm very, very hopeful. Uh, our first black president was biracial. Our Democratic vice presidential um, uh, candidate um, uh, is biracial. At some point, I would like to see uh, someone who completely identifies as black or, is, or who's black. Uh, as a president, someone who is Jewish as president, someone who is Muslim as president. Um, and the other part of that is black lives matter, but we can't let it be a passing movement or a passing moment. We've got to continue to move forward because until we are all free, none of us can be free. And that's why it's not about making America great again. America is great now, but certainly we can make it better. I'd love to see a world where it's not about the color of your skin, but more about your culture, who you are, and what's in your mind and what's in your heart. I would too. Amen to that. All right, DJ Drama, thank you so much for being with us. Mary Almonte, great to have you. Dr. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.